Father, we do come before you and thank you for this opportunity to be instructed from your word. And I pray we would have receptive hearts, that we would allow what you say through your word to change our thinking, that we would uh, become more like you. And we know we can't do that on our own, that you must do it, and we trust you to do it. I pray we wouldn't be resistant or rebellious, but that we would accept what you have to say so that you would be glorified and we would be blessed and changed. Lord, I thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we know in Scripture that uh, the Lord doesn't hear the wicked in their prayer apart from that prayer, which is in humility uh, regarding sin and regarding salvation. Uh, There are many people who will live their lives just doing whatever they want, and then in a moment of tragedy, they'll call out to the Lord, expecting him to help out. Well, the Lord does want to help out, but for those who have rejected him and don't want any part of him, we see in Proverbs chapter 1 that uh, if you don't want his wisdom, uh, his wisdom is not going to come to you in that time. The reality is the Lord will heal the prayer of anyone regarding sin and regarding salvation. But yet when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we want to do what's right. If you've actually come to a relationship with Jesus, you've been changed. If you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a difference inside. We have the Spirit of God and we have new desires. We want to do what's right. And although we fail often, we want to do the right thing. Now, when we do the wrong things, the Lord is gracious, like a good parent, a loving parent, and he disciplines us. And sometimes the difficulties in our lives are just that. They're God's hand of discipline, training us that we would be like his son, Jesus. And then there are times where we're following the Lord Jesus Christ and we're wanting to do the right thing. We're not in disobedience. We're not walking wrongly. And we want to do the right thing and we're praying, and yet God is seemingly not allowing us to do what really his will is. There seems to be something in the way. Maybe it's a trial, whatever it might be, or a physical issue, or or financial problem, health problem, whatever it might be, there seem to be things in the way from actually doing the right thing. It's in these times that we wonder, why is the Lord not answering my prayer for help? I want to do the right thing. Why is he not answering? Well, today we're going to see exactly that, and we're going to have that question answered. Why is the Lord not answering my prayers for help? As we look at uh, and learn from Jacob, the believer, as he learns that his greatest opposition is, as we'll see, not his brother Esau, but the Lord, the Lord. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, we're taking a short break from our series in the book of Philippians. We're just going to take a peek in Genesis chapter 32 today, and now I can't go through and give you all the context like we've done. We did go through Genesis a couple years ago, but we're in the section right now in Genesis where the Lord is, uh, where it is centered around the life of Jacob, the life of Jacob. And what we're going to see is that Jacob, in obedience to the Lord, is returning to the land of Canaan after serving his uncle Laban for 20 years in the, in the land of Haran. Now Jacob has departed, had departed earlier, 20 years earlier, after he deceived Isaac, his father, into giving the blessing to him rather than his brother Esau. And Esau was furious and wanted to kill him. And so Jacob was fleeing, and his mother Rebecca made up a a, a slick story to hide him for a couple days, she thought, in Haran, to get a wife. But it ended up being 20 years as God was working on the heart of Jacob. And now Jacob had 20 years having passed, is wanting to obey the Lord, ready to return to Canaan. And the Lord has graciously already intervened and protected him from his uncle Laban's wrath because Jacob had secretly departed and taken and taken the house and the household idols of Laban had been stolen. Yet God was gracious and protected Jacob. Now Jacob, in obedience, then is on the edge of the border of Canaan, coming back, and he is about to go into land. But there's a huge problem. There's a huge weight hanging over his head. He's going to have to face his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him 20 years ago. He's going to have to face him. 
And so Jacob is doing the right thing, but yet he's got something in the way. And he's going to come to understand that Esau is not his greatest opposition, but actually in this circumstance, the God he is following and obeying is his greatest opposition. So again, why is the Lord not answering my prayer for help? Today we will see Jacob learns just exactly what I shared, that at times God will be the one who opposes us when we think uh, it is other things that are actually in the way. Again, Genesis chapter 32, it's a, it's a, it's a narrative, so I'm going to read through the whole chapter here. Um, Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to walk through it together and hopefully understand what the Lord intended. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahaniam. And then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban. Now that's their uncle, by the way, both their uncle, Uncle Laban for Jacob and Esau, obviously, and stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies, for he said, if Esau comes uh, to, to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, oh, God, my father Abraham, of, of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, whom thou didst say to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness thou hast shown to thy servant. For with thy staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of, es- from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he spent the night there, and then, then he selected from that which he had with him a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male, go, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and the 10 male donkeys. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants every 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 drove by itself and said to his servants pass on before me and put a space between droves and he commanded the one in front saying saying when my brother esau meets you and asks you saying to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals to whom do these animals in front of you belong then you shall say These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he went, while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose the same night and took his two wives and his two male maids and eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across in the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of his hip. So then, why is the Lord not answering my prayer for help? I think, first of all, we're going to see that just because you seek the Lord rightly doesn't necessarily mean the Lord is on your side. Doesn't necessarily mean that. Look at verse uh, 32. We're going to see the angels, first of all, meet him, uh, referring, uh, reaffirming that the Lord is watching over him. Verse 32. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. The angels of God met him. Verse 1, 32. The angels of God met him. And Jacob is continuing on his, on his journey from Canaan. And the Lord has protected him from his wicked, uh, idolatrous uncle Laban and his wrath. And he has caused him to be at peace. And so Jacob is on his way and something happens. The angels of God met him. And here we have evidently multiple angels, uh, holy angels, God's angels meeting Jacob. And he is near the border of the land of Canaan. And what happens? Verse 2. And Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place uh, Mahahanaim. That means two camps. That means two camps, actually. That's what that word means. So evidently, Jacob saw his camp of people and his relatives as one and God's camp as another. So the question would be here, what is the significance of this at this point? Why is he sharing this here? Well, you might remember back in chapter 28 when we went through the book of Genesis that when Jacob had left for Canaan 20 years ago, he was all alone. He was all alone. And in Bethel, the Lord brought forth a dream, and in that dream, the angels of God were ascending and descending on a ladder from heaven to earth. Turn back, hold your finger in our passage, and turn back to Genesis 28 for a moment. Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Then Jacob, verse 10. Then Jacob departed Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. Behold, a ladder was on the earth and its top reaching heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You see, Jacob was in the line in which uh, would come the seed, which would be the Lord Jesus Christ. God would bring forth, he would take on human flesh. And he would bless everyone who would be willing to see their sin and trust in Christ for salvation. The seed of Abraham, which would come, would come through Jacob's loins. And he would take on human flesh. He would die for our sins on the cross. And God made it clear that he was going to protect Abraham, that he was going to take care of him, and he would bring him back safely to the land, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand of the seashore, that in his seed all the nations would be blessed. And so here, the Lord made it clear when he was going out to Haran that he was with him. And now he's come back and the angels are there meeting him. Again, I believe reassuring him that God is is on his side. That God is on his side. He is doing what he is supposed to be doing. You see, but yet we're going to find out that even though we might be doing what we're supposed to be doing, that there are times where God will oppose us. God will oppose us in doing what is right. Notice Jacob gets an alarming report. Back in chapter 32, verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. 
Remember, Jacob is about to enter the land. He's east of the Jordan. And now south of the land is the land of Seir, the, the country of Eden, where his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him, had settled. He's going to have to deal with this. He's going to have to deal with this. You see, sometimes obeying the Lord puts you in a situation where you've got to deal with stuff that happened back in your life earlier. And he has to deal with Esau, doesn't he? He's got to deal with him. And so here, notice what happens. So he sends messengers, verse 4, and he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban. That's their uncle. Esau is his brother. And stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that, that I may find favor in thy sight. Esau, I don't want to be at odds with you. Esau, I don't want you to kill me. Right? Esau, I want it to be peace. I want peace, Esau. I want favor in your sight. So Jacob humbles himself and he sends this message. He sends this message and then what happens? He gets the return message here. Verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and furthermore he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Oh, yikes. This is not what Jacob's looking for. He's looking for the, Hey, Jacob, everything is cool. We're fine. No problem. It's water under the bridge, Jacob. He doesn't hear that. He's coming with 400 men. And so Jacob, notice, is greatly afraid. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You know, it's easy to say from here, I wouldn't be afraid or distressed. But when you recognize your life is at stake, you become afraid. And he's greatly afraid and distressed. Because, as we'll see also, he's concerned for all of his family. He's concerned for the people with him. He's concerned they're going to get slaughtered by his brother Esau. He's concerned. And so it says, And he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. Maybe he got that idea earlier where he had God's company and his company, right? Two companies, Manaheim. But uh, he divides them. For he said, if Esau comes to one company, one group of people, and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. It's a strategic plan. Okay? So he begins to execute his plan here. And there's nothing wrong with planning, by the way. There's nothing wrong with preparing. There's nothing wrong with uh, planning and executing plans. But as we're going to see, Jacob has a problem that the Lord needs to weed out. He has a problem. It's a problem that he needs to weed out of our lives also. As we're going to see, Jacob does things in his own wisdom. He's doing the right thing, but he still relies on himself. And he relies on his own wisdom for protection. When the Lord had clearly made promises that he would protect him. But notice, to his credit, he does pray. And it is a good prayer. Look at verse uh, 6. And Jacob said, O God, my father of my father Abraham, my father Isaac. That's from who the promises were coming. O Lord, who did us say, return to your country and your relatives and I will prosper you. Hey, it's what you said, Lord. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan and I have come back in two companies. He reminds the Lord, first of all, that he had commanded him to come back and that he would prosper him. He reminds the Lord of his promise, okay? And then he says something that's wonderful. He gives God all the credit. He says, I am unworthy. This is a change in Jacob. Jacob's uh, been changed. He is growing. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown thy servant. And if you are a believer, we are unworthy of all the love and faithfulness God has shown us. Now, Jacob more directly speaks of his physical prosperity here, having left only with a staff and coming back with two companies of people. But underneath that, we see that word loving, kindness, and faithfulness has more to do with even how God is in his character. And his loving kindness is manifest in the fact that he gave his only son for us. That he loved us so graciously and so kind that he gave his son to die for us. And we are unworthy of that. We're unworthy of his faithfulness day after day after day. Great is thy faithfulness. He keeps his word. And Jacob, in this situation, has planned the exit strategy to uh, protect his family, but then he's also praying here. He's also praying. And notice what he says in verse 11. Here's his petition. Deliver me, I pray. 
from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. For I fear him. Being honest with God, isn't he? I fear him. Lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Now this is a reasonable fear and a thought based on what he understands of the situation with Esau. But as with everything, we are never as believers to lean on our understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. We're not to take what we understand and see and process and make that our basis of faith. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jacob has some issues he's got to deal with, and the Lord is going to deal with them specifically. So then, Jacob is a believer, and he gives God credit for all that he has. He knows the promise, and he prays for protection based on that promise. And yet, as we're going to see, within that prayer, there is still mixed self-dependence. Self-dependence that God has to weed out. And he has to weed that out in our lives. You see, Jacob has always been trying. If you know the book of Genesis, he has always been trying to do things his way through his own planning or scheming. Remember, his name means surplanter, deceiver, or conniver. He's got a plan. He's got a thing going every time, some way to, some angle on it to, to take care of whatever it is. And right away, he's got an angle on what to do with his brother Esau, but yet, but yet we're going to see he also understands that God is faithful and he understands his promises, but he is acting upon his own wisdom within that. And God's going to have to do something. Verse 13. So he spent the night there, then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams. Now this is really a crazy part because we're going to see later on, we're not going to see this, you can read it later on tonight, you're going to want to read it, that Esau had no plan on coming to kill Jacob. He actually was, was, was okay. But Jacob has it all figured out in his head like we do in circumstances. We think we got it figured out because of what we've seen and we act upon that. And he is, needs to learn the lesson that we need to learn. And so he's given all this stuff, male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, verse 15, 30 milking cows and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 donkeys. That's a lot of stuff. He's going to try to appease his brother with some gifts, with some gifts. He's going to give him all kinds of presents. And he's going to do it in a very calculated way, by the way. He's going to plan it so gifts arrive one after another. It's kind of like the extended Christmas morning, right? One little bit here and here and here and here to try to appease his brother. Look at verse 16. And he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between the droves. That's all the stuff. And he commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong, then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. Then, verse 19, he commanded also the second and the third. And all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau, when you find him, you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. So Jacob's here. I will appease him with the presents, right? God has already said in his word, I'm going to bring you back safely. I'm going to prosper you. He has a direct promise from God. Now, we don't have direct promises at times concerning some of our circumstances, but we have direct promises concerning his character and what he is doing. And Jacob is trying to figure it out. He's conniving to make it work, although he's also gone to the Lord. He actually does want to obey. He's actually doing the right thing in going to Canaan and praying, but yet he's trying to do it in his own. Trying to do it his own. For I will appease him. Notice that. I will appease him. Jacob, with all his gifts, is going to do it. He's praying, yet relying on his own strength and wisdom. He's acting in a self-sufficient manner. You know, the Bible says for believers, not for non-believers, for believers, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You know what? Don't lean on your own understanding. Yes, I see the circumstance. I'm analyzing it. But I'm not God. God is way above this and I'm going to trust Him, apply His Word to it, and then think rightly in regards to those circumstances. And so for every true believer, God's got to weed out that self-dependence. And yes, we all are disciplined for, for sin at times, but sometimes God brings trouble into our lives because not in a sense for direct discipline, but to weed something out of our lives, something he's got to work on. And for him here, it's self-dependence. And it's the same thing for you and I. I'll tell you that right now. The same thing. You know, these things were written for our instruction to whom the end of the ages have come. We see that in First Corinthians So then, why is the Lord not answering Jacob's prayer according to his will? Could there be area of self-reliance? Yes, there is. How about us? You want to do the right thing. You're doing what God says, but yet it seems to be thwarted. Why is he not answering? Maybe there's some area in your life of self-reliance. You're seemingly trusting him, giving him credit. You're praying, you're relying on him, yet he's not answering. Maybe there's some self-reliance. So what do we got to do? We need to let the Lord break our self-dependence. We need to let him do that, which is actually, as we will see, opposition to him. Opposition to him. Notice Jacob is stopped by the Lord who wrestles with him till daybreak and then dislocates his hip. Look here at uh, verse 20. Let me see. make sure I didn't miss a verse here. Yeah, so verse 22. Look at verse 22. Now he arose the same night, and this is speaking of Jacob, and took his two wives. Now, now that's another story, by the way. You want to go back and look at that? We got the CDs out there. That's another story. He paid the price. I'll tell you that right now. Remember with Uncle Laban, who tricked him with the, he wanted, you know, Rachel, but he got tricked, you know? You know, you know that story, right? That never goes away, by the way. Um, so, and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. A ford is a shallow place where a river can be crossed. So Jacob is busy doing the things he needs to do. He's got the stuff going ahead. He's got all this stuff going on. Aren't we just like that? Trials come. We start to figure it all. We got all these little plans. We're doing everything. Jacob's doing it, right? And so notice verse 23. And he took them, that's his family, and he sent them across the stream and sent across whatever he had. All the stuff in his family. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left what? Alone. He's by himself. And notice what it says here. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. It's nighttime. He's alone. And here we have the phrase, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, before we look at this in depth, we need to make some observations. Notice this is not like the previous time where it was a dream. This is a real situation. He's not falling asleep. He's not dreaming. God, God in the Old Testament, uh, through many portions in many ways, manifest himself. And now in the New Testament, he has manifest through his son. But in the Old Testament, we see it. He did it in different, all different types of ways. And so here we have uh, this portion where it's not a dream. It's a real situation. And we're going to see later on, Jacob has a real injury. He does have a dislocated hip. It's a real thing, Okay. Secondly, the identity of this man is not immediately known to Jacob, but he will soon come to understand this is no mere man, but God. And it's a lesson for us. We're going to see later on that the man here spoken of is no, none other than God who took on the form of a man here in the Old Testament. Look down at verse 28 through 30. 28 through 30 in our passage. This is the same man that's speaking up here talking to him. And you shall no longer, you shall no longer be named Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with who? With God, okay? And with men and prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you asking my name? And then he blessed him. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said what? I have seen God face to face. He understood later on what, who, who was wrestling with him, okay? Who was wrestling with him. So then we have a man. So then we have this, this, what I believe is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jesus took on the form of a man, but he wasn't a man. He didn't take on flesh. He took on the form of a man, like angels would take on the form of a man. We see that. Um, he took on the form of a man, pre-incarnate, appearance of Christ. Now, he certainly, later on, would come and take on actual human flesh. He would be born of a virgin. He would be conceived and born of a virgin. He would grow up in humanity, and he would die for our sins, fully flesh and fully God. But here, he's taking the form of a man, pre-incarnate before that time. And so we have here, the text says, a man wrestled with him. This is very interesting because so often people take this passage and say, Jacob's wrestling with the man. And like that means it's like me wrestling with God in prayer. Not really. It's the other way around. Jacob wants to cross the stream, get over to his family, take care of all his business, and here someone is stopping him. And it says a man wrestled with him. This is God wrestling with Jacob. It says clearly he wrestled with him. So we have God in the form of a man wrestling with Jacob, evidently preventing him from crossing over. God is the instigator here. God is the one who instigates this. He is the one opposed to Jacob at this point. And as shared before, many people see this as an analogy for us wrestling with God. No, no, no. He is wrestling with Jacob. He is wrestling with Jacob. It repeals, this reveals, as we'll see, God's opposition to Jacob and his plans. God is opposing him. He's not against him, but he is opposing him. And for true believers, there are times where God opposes us. He's not against us. He's for us, but he opposes us. Remember, the angels were there first. And then we saw the angels, they were affirming that God's with him. But now, God is wrestling with him. Verse 24, then Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. God is opposed to Jacob. He's relying on his own strength and wisdom, as we'll see. He's trusting in that, in the context here. He is conniving. He's acting like Jacob. But we're going to see once he yields, he renames him Israel. And when he saw, verse 25, he had not prevailed against him. Now, who is the he? The he is that he is the, the man, in the, God in the form of a man, prevailed against him. He touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. The he here is the Lord in the form of a man. He had not prevailed against Jacob. Now you're saying, wait a second, the Lord's not strong enough to prevail against him? We're going to see something in a minute. Don't, don't jump too forward, all right? You see, it isn't that the Lord isn't strong as Jacob. What it reveals is that Jacob was not relenting. Jacob was still wrestling. He wasn't stopping. Just like us, right? We wrestle, in a sense, against the Lord's will. We wrestle. He tries to stop us. We won't submit. He puts a roadblock in our way, and we don't submit. We don't see it. We keep on wrestling, in a sense, with him. So then, when he saw he had not prevailed, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. He's got a dislocated hip. And if you're a wrestler, you know what that means. The wrestling match is over. The wrestling match is over, okay? This is so instructive for us. We may be praying, Lord, help me in this situation. I fear this situation. We may be trusting the Lord, but yet we might have areas of self-reliance where we are plotting and planning away and really trusting in those plans in that moment. We're doing that, and we follow our own schemes and our own independence, even though we're trusting the Lord, and effectively place ourselves in opposition to the Lord. So the Lord is wrestling him. And so Jacob had seen Esau as his biggest obstacle to getting into the land. My brother is going to kill me. This is the biggest deal in front of me in my life. Guess what's stopping him? It's not Esau. It's God. God is the biggest obstacle at this point. And maybe God is the biggest obstacle in your life. He loves you. He's walking with you. But yet, when we rely on ourselves, he opposes us. And he will wrestle with us. For some of you, the Lord is wrestling in your life. He is opposing you. He is thwarting you. You may be praying according to his will. You're actually wanting to do his will, the right thing. And he is, he is opposing him. Just He is opposing Jacob just like he will oppose us. 
Now, you may be suffering something unpleasant, maybe physical. Maybe the Lord has brought something upon you. I'm not saying that this is an absolute because you're not submitting. It could be just it's just happened. God is allowing a trial. Or it could be his discipline. Or it could be he is opposing you because you are relying on your own wisdom. On your own wisdom. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is opposed to our self-reliance. To our plotting and planning to work it all out. Even when we're wanting to follow him. As we try to do our things. And there may come a point where he did with Jacob, where he was not responding, where he has to bring some serious, debilitating actions upon you and I. As he did with Jacob, dislocating his thigh. We need to allow the Lord to break us and humble us before it gets to that point, by the way. Some of you may be wrestling. You just need to yield as we're going to see. You need to yield. Okay, Lord, you got it. I trust you. We need to respond rightly. So then we've seen the Lord will oppose us even when we are his. He will wrestle with us even to the point where he will, if we're unable, if we do not submit, he will take away our strength. He will cause us to be debilitated in whatever it might be. So what do we need to do? We need to stop resisting God's effort to oppose us. And then we need to cling to God. Notice what he does. Notice what he does in verse 30, 25. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said, let me go. Let me go. So we have here Jacob seeking his favor. But notice one thing I want to share here before I look at that. Notice back in the verse before. When he saw he had not prevailed with him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. So Jacob, at this point, I believe, responds rightly. I believe he responds rightly. You might say, how do you know that? How do you know Jacob finally submits? How do we know that? How do we know that? Turn to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. You see, Jacob is wrestling with the Lord. The Lord is actually opposing him. And the Lord dislocates his socket. And I believe at this point that Jacob actually begins to submit. That he actually has a changed heart. And I believe this is from Hosea chapter 12. Now this is speaking of the nation of Israel, but it points back to the situation that involved Jacob. Hosea chapter 12 verse 2. The Lord also had a dispute with Judah. And will punish Jacob according to his ways. That's Jacob, that's speaking of Israel now, the nation. He will pay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel. And in his maturity he, what? Contended with God. Yet, yes, he wrestled with the angel, that's the angel of the Lord, and prevailed. And prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He wept and sought his favor. You see, we don't see it in our passage, but Jacob wept and he sought the favor of the one he was wrestling with. He wept and sought. Notice what it says back in verse 26 in our passage. Let's put this together now. It's different parts. Verse 26. Then he said, that's the Lord, let me go for dawn is breaking. But, that's then, but, he, but he said, that's Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So what's evidently, the Lord is wrestling with Jacob and Jacob is not not yielding, and the Lord dislocates his hip, and Jacob is then weeping and seeking his favor, just holding on now. Bless me. See the difference? See the difference? He is clinging. He will not let go. He's not fighting. He's clinging now. That's what we need to do. Stop wrestling with the Lord when he gets in our way, when he opposes us. Just yield. Seek his favor. He was weeping and sought his favor or grace. He was clinging. He wouldn't let go. And so how does the Lord answer in verse 27? So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, obviously, the Lord knows what Jacob's name is, right? God is very gracious to ask us questions, to prompt us to to understand things he wants us to know. He says, what is your name? Jacob. Now, do you remember what Jacob's name means? I shared it earlier. What does it mean? Deceiver. It means supplanter, conniver. 
So he's holding on, wanting to be blessed by the Lord after having yielded. And God says, what's your name? It's deceiver. Right? And what does he say? And he says, your name shall no longer be deceiver or Jacob, but Israel. He changed his name. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. You see, Jacob is renamed Israel at this point. And Israel means God strives or he who strives with God. That's what it means. And he says here, you shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You say, wait a second. He prevailed? He won the wrestling match with God? He won the match? Wait a second. I thought he didn't win. I thought his hip was dislocated. How is it that he prevailed? You see, we prevail with God when we, as or as Jacob prevailed with God, as the deceiver surrendered. You see, when God opposes us and we have that wrestling match and we stop wrestling and we just hold on to him, clinging for him, we prevail in that wrestling match. That's how you prevail, by yielding, by the way. That's how you prevail. And guess what? Israel, as a nation, will eventually prevail by stopping to strive with God when they come to faith in him. They will prevail. Psalm 46, cease striving and know that he is God. Cease striving. Do you want to prevail when the Lord opposes you and your actions? You must humbly submit to him and stop resisting. Stop resisting. We need to allow the Lord to break us. To break us. You see, Jacob won when he stopped fighting. He won when he stopped resisting. We need to let the Lord break us. Some of you are, are the Lord is working on you and you are resisting. You are like Jacob, still battling with the Lord. And the Lord's getting ready to dislocate that hip, I tell you. Prevail in that battle. Humble yourself. Yield to the Lord. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me, tell me your name. And, but he said, why is it do you ask my name? Why are you asking? I think you already know. I think that's the implication, right? And he blessed him there. He blessed him. He blessed him. Jacob was blessed when he prevailed by yielding, by allowing the Lord to break him. The Lord wants to break us of our self-sufficiency. The Lord wants to break us of our own dependence, self-dependence. Our self-dependence is in direct opposition to the Lord. And we are blessed when the Lord opposes our ways and we yield. And we yield. So look at verse 30. Jacob understands the significance of this, by the way. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face Yet my life has been preserved. I've seen him face to face, and my life has been spared. My life has been spared. Brother and sister, our self-defendance is in direct opposition to the Lord. And he will oppose you. So do you want to prevail in that battle? Yield. Submit. He'll bless you. Yield and submit. You see, we can't experience God's true blessing until we are broken of our self-dependence. Broken of our self-dependence. And we will never be broken of that self-dependence. We'll never cling to the Lord until we're broken of that. And so he's clinging to the Lord. He's clinging to the Lord. And he says, I've seen God face to face. You see, the Lord needed to show Jacob how powerful his flesh was. He struggled with the Lord all night, and we in our flesh do the same thing. Battle, 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 but the Lord broke him, and he was able to cling to him, and we need to be broken. I think of a New Testament example of this. I think of Peter, who was self-reliant, and the Lord had to break him. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 30. And this is on the night that Jesus was betrayed and was going to go to the cross the next day. Matthew 26, verse 30. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, 
you will fall away. You all, you will all fall away of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Notice Peter's answer. But Peter answered, said, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. There's your self-reliance, by the way. God is telling him you're going to fall away, and he's saying, I won't. I won't. And Jesus said to him, truly before this very night, truly I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. And we know the story, the true story, where he did deny him. And the Lord, uh, and he even yelling out at, and, you know, swearing to a slave girl. I don't, I don't, slave girl, I don't know this man. He looks over and catches the gaze of the Lord and he weeps bitterly. And we know in John chapter 21, after uh, the Spirit of God had come, well, we know before that, John chapter 21 with Peter, the Lord restores him. And then in the day of Pentecost, uh, 50 days later, uh, we see Peter in dependent brokenness with the Spirit of God, uh, speaking boldly the Word of God, but right before the same people he had cowered before, just a little over a month before that. God had to break him of his self-reliance. And the Lord wants to bring us to an end of ourselves also. That we would be totally broken, that we would totally cling to him. That's what he's doing, brothers and sisters, if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, he wants to save you. He loves you. He wants you to be forgiven of your sin. Then he'll start the good work of making you like his son. So let's finish up here. We're going to see that we need to we need to learn from this. We need to learn from this. Look at verse 31. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Peniel uh, is a variant of the phrase we saw earlier, which means face of God. That's what he named it. So the sun has arisen, Jacob is crossing over, and guess what? He's limping. Right? It's a physical reminder of God's humbling of him, of God's breaking of him. And this would be instructive for Jacob. Think about it. Jacob had this plan where he'd have two companies split, and whoever you know Esau attacked, the other one would run away. How's he going to run with a bad hip? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's going to need to trust the Lord to protect him. Not his plans, not his schemes. And the only way we prevail is when we yield to the Lord. Verse 32, Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. We need to remember those times when the Lord has opposed us and when he has broken us and we have yielded. And we have yielded. We need to remember those times where he has humbled us. So how can I know, as we finish up here, how can I know I've been broken? How can I know that? Part of this was read earlier, John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You see, when you have the mindset apart from the Lord intervening and apart from him working through, nothing's going to happen, you know you're actually yielding. You know you're yielding. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from the Lord. When my mindset in the situation is, I can't do this, but I trust you, Lord God. I trust you. You need to know you're broken. I can't do it. But I'm relying on what you said. I believe what you said, and I personally trust in you. Could the Lord be breaking you? Weep and seek his favor. Seek his favor. One last passage. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in his flesh that he wouldn't boast or exalt himself, that he wouldn't lift himself up. And this is what the response of the Lord was to the Apostle Paul when he wanted it removed. 
2 Corinthians 12. Turn there with me and that will be our last passage. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9. This is after Paul is praying for the Lord to take away this, this difficulty, this thorn in his flesh. And he said, my, and he said this to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you're thinking that way, then you know that you've submitted, that you've humbled. Apply those truths across the circumstances. When you've yielded, you're no longer working out all the details to make it all work out. You're trusting the Lord. You're obeying his word. You're stepping forward by faith, not in his power and strength. Not in, not in your power and strength, but in his power and strength. Scratch that first line, right? So then today, we've seen the reality that Jacob was stopped and opposed by God, and God broke him, and he yielded, and he remembered. The Lord is working in Jacob's life. He was working in it, working out, weeding out areas of self-reliance. And the Lord is working in our lives. Maybe he's wrestling with you. Give up. Give up before he dislocates the thigh. And if he does dislocate the thigh, use it as remembrance that you need to rely on the Lord. You need to rely on him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this true story and the lesson that we learned from it. Thank you that you love us so much that you do what is good for us. You do the best for us. And Lord, please break us of our self-dependence and help us see when you are opposing us. I pray for anyone here today who is your child, Lord God, who is a true believer, in whom wants to follow you, but yet you are opposing them. Lord, I pray that they would just yield and they would experience that peaceful fruit of righteousness, just yielding and trusting you, just trusting your son Jesus. And Father, may we learn from this. May we be reminded in the difficulties that come upon us. I pray for each and every true believer here today that we would be those who don't trust in ourselves, but trust in you. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.